Please keep your Bibles open to Exodus 2. We're also going to look at a few verses back in Exodus 1. And we'll also go over to Psalm 139 and read a few verses, including the verse that uh, Martin shared earlier during our children's sermon. So if you want to mark Psalm 139, we'll read a few of those verses in just a few minutes. As we look to Scripture today in the, in the context in which we live, to see the issues, the issues of salvation and the sanctity of life. So let's uh, once again pause for just a moment and ask for the Lord to help us today. Father, we come before you today and we confess uh, that we need your guidance and your spirit to give us understanding, Lord, to help us understand the, the times in which we live and to help us understand what you have revealed to us in the scripture and then help us to understand how to live out the truth of your word, the truth of the gospel the truth of life everlasting in the day and in the context in which we live. And sometimes, Father, that's uh, difficult to navigate, difficult to understand and apply. But, Lord, you call us to be witnesses of the truth and to shine the light, to share the truth and that the truth will set us free and that your grace is sufficient and that you will equip us and sustain us for where you call us and where you lead us. So we know that you will be faithful, Lord. We're asking that you might strengthen us, that we might be faithful. Because we live in a day that it is increasingly difficult to be faithful to biblical truth ultimate truth, eternal truth. And sometimes it's it's even a matter of life and death, and sometimes it's even a matter of eternal life or eternal death. So it's always a serious thing when we gather around your word. It's always a serious thing. We are asking, Father, that that you might prepare us, that you might equip us, that we might be your ambassadors, that we might be messengers of life, messengers of freedom, messengers of, of gospel hope and peace. So help us, Father, once again as we gather together in the speaking and in the Hearing, Lord, may you attend all of it, Father, that you might be glorified. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So the sermon title, Salvation and the Sanctity of Life, is intended to communicate that these two biblical truths of salvation in Christ and the sacredness of life because God has created life, Those truths are often intertwined in the Scripture. As you read through the 
the history of redemption in the Bible, you'll often come across issues regarding the protection and the preservation of life. The Bible is a very pro-life book. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5, we'll just read a few of these verses. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5 says, Before God is speaking, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And so God not only created the first man, Adam, from dust, and the first woman, Eve, from Adam's rib, through, through the means of, of procreation, God remains the creator of every single life. And that's why we hold that life begins at conception. But here in this verse, God is speaking of preconception. He says, before I formed you. He has a plan and a purpose for each and every life that he creates. God doesn't make an accident. Even if the circumstances of conception were traumatic or even if the baby has difficulties, God is still creator. God still has a plan and a purpose for each life that he creates. Let's look over to Psalm 139 together and pick up a few verses around the verse that... Martin shared earlier with us. Let's begin in verse 13. The psalmist speaking to the Lord says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as, when as yet there was none of them. When as yet there were none of them. God had already planned all of them for that life. God not only creates each life, He is intricately, the scripture says, involved in every detail. Each person He creates is unique in physical feature and personality and gifts right down to our fingerprints. That goes for each individual, not just the individuals that are wanted. That also applies to the individuals who, from whatever circumstance, happen to not be wanted. Each individual is placed by God in a particular setting. It's all part of God's purpose and plan unfolding. That, that we are born 
when we are born and that we are born where we are born and that we are born in the time that we are born. Thus, every human life being created by God with such a specific design, unique design and specific purpose and setting and timing and right down to the number of days... That each human life has meaning and dignity and worth and purpose. So life then is truly sacred because we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We're not accidents. We're not the culmination of a series of evolutionary phases we are made we have a creator who has a purpose and design for each of our lives Psalm 127.3 says behold children are a heritage from the Lord the fruit of the womb a reward simply put the miracle of life is a blessing from God it, isn't, it is a blessing. Children are blessings. And so when you put all of these descriptions together of how the Bible speaks of life in the womb, when you put all of these together, there's no wonder that the miracle of salvation and the miracle of life are, are often intertwined in the unfolding of God's great plan of redemption. You see, those are God's Great works that proclaim Him, His work of creation and His work of salvation. So there's, there's no wonder that when we see these things in Scripture, we often find them together. Our passage today is one of those instances where we see salvation and the sanctity of life unfolding together in the same narrative. So let's just walk through this passage again and, and see what's happening in the Scripture and see how it might apply to the day in which we live. First of all, see, the need to save lives arises when lives are threatened. There's really no need to, to stand for life if, if life is not being threatened. But if it is, then there's a need there's something that must be done. There's action that must be taken. There's a stand that, that must be made to save life. Statistically speaking, the most dangerous place for a child to be today is in the womb. The innocent lives of boys and girls are threatened under terminology like health care, access, and rights. But little innocent babies having their lives threatened is really nothing new. That's nothing just for our day. This has been a reality since sin entered the world. Sin is rebellion against God. And if God creates life, sin seeks to destroy it. Sin always acts in opposition of God's will. So if God is the creator... Sin is the destroyer. If God is the 
advocate, sin is the accuser. It's always in opposite of God's will. And this is what we find at the time of Moses and his birth. Now look back with me at chapter 1 as we see kind of the context unfolding. Because if you just jump in at chapter 2, kind of like we did this morning, if you just jump in, you wonder, well, why is is Moses' mom hiding him and why is she making a basket and putting him in the river? Well, chapter 1 kind of explains that for us. The need to save life arises when lives, innocent lives are being threatened. If you look back at, at chapter 1, if we begin reading in, in, in verse 8, we would see that the Egyptians began to be very distressed because the Hebrews were growing, the population of the Hebrews were growing at an alarming rate. They, they were outgrowing the Egyptians. And so... The first thing that Egypt tried to do to slow down this uh, population uh, explosion of the Hebrews, their, their slaves, they, would, uh, they sought to oppress them more. So they made, it e- they made life even more difficult for the Israelites. But the more Egypt would oppress Israel, the more they would multiply. And so the king, Pharaoh, issues an edict to the the Hebrew midwives and he tells them when when a Hebrew woman is giving birth, if she gives birth to a female child, let it live. But if she gives birth to a male child, you are to kill that child as soon as it's delivered. That was Pharaoh's plan to slow this exploding population We might say this is the first case of selective uh, abortion or at least gender infanticide. We've seen things like this even in our own day. China's been in the news lately, hasn't it? China demands worship of the state. India is dominated by Hinduism. And both of them have had very similar policies to Pharaoh in Egypt in Moses' day, except they targeted females. China and India targeted females. With the result now that both of those countries face a gender gap in the millions that cannot be rectified. Can you imagine destroying the life of an innocent little baby because he or she is not the gender you desire? Now, verse 17, that's what Pharaoh says to these uh, Hebrew midwives. If it's, if it's a male child, then you shall kill him. Verse 16 says, but if it's a daughter, she shall live. Now, look at verse 17. But the midwives feared God. Pharaoh, who was the ruler of the land, had issued them a command, but they feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. Isn't that amazing? They knew life was sacred. 
They knew taking innocent life would defy God. So they chose rather to defy Pharaoh. The need to save lives arises when innocent lives are threatened. Something must be done. So these Hebrew wives make a decision. We're not going to kill innocent children. And so the story develops then. Picking up in verse 18. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? What's going on? Did you not hear me? I'm Pharaoh. I give you a command. You do it. What's happening? And the midwife said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. Now, that's not exactly what happened, is it? So, verse 20, God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, He gave them families, you see, blessings. So God blessed the midwives and God blessed Israel because they chose to save and protect and preserve life. Now in verse 22, Pharaoh is not happy that God's way is prevailing over his way. So he bypasses the midwives and Pharaoh commanded all his people. So he gets all Egypt involved now. Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile. But you shall let every daughter live. So he devises a new plan. He issues a new edict. All Egypt is to be involved now and on the lookout for any Hebrew male children. You see, there is a pro-life agenda here. And there is a pro-death agenda here. And those who consider the life of some children to be worthless or in the way are relentless. And it's getting increasingly difficult to stand for life and to even reason for life. I read an article a few months back of a college campus that uh, a, a pro-life group on college had made a display to promote the sanctity of life. And their display was vandalized on their campus and someone spray painted across the display, we will keep killing our babies. And I thought when I read that article beyond the difficulty of our context today, at least we can have an honest conversation. 
At least we're not trying to use terminology to make abortion sound like something that it's not. And now it's a sad and tragic conversation to have, but at least we're getting honest about it. But in terms of how salvation and the sanctity of life are often intertwined, God's rescue of Israel from slavery was a picture of God's coming rescue of man from sin. So there are similarities here because one is to portray and picture the other. So when the time comes for God to rescue Israel, a male child is born. Who will deliver them? When the time comes for God to rescue man from sin, a male child is born who will deliver us. When Moses is born, Pharaoh sends a command to kill the male children. When Jesus is born, Herod issues the command to kill the children. Satan's plan is death. God's plan is deliverance. So you often find then... Salvation and the sanctity of life, those themes playing together. So now we come to chapter 2. Now we come to our text. And we see there's, there's always a way to save life rather than take an innocent life. There's always a way to save life. And so we begin to read of the, the uh, circumstance. Now we know the context of Moses' birth. And now we begin to read the circumstance. And we see Moses' mother does some very incredible things here. First of all, just, just to remember when we say there's always something we can do for life. Remember these midwives back in chapter 1. They decided... To not violate their conscience. We do not have to give in to the pressure of the world around us. And the narrative that is constantly preached around us. Even if Pharaoh demanded it, they would not not cross what down deep inside they knew to be wrong. So the point is, when these midwives decided to make a stand and to not do what Pharaoh commanded, we don't have to do what the world demands or what the world expects. Even even from those in powerful positions and places of influence over our lives. We do not have to do, as believers, what violates our conscience. Just don't do it. That's one thing. The second thing is these midwives made up an excuse, didn't they? They decided we're not, we're not going to kill these male children. But, but eventually the, the, the plan runs out because male children are still being born. And, and Pharaoh discovers this and he wants to know what's happening. So their, their secret defiance then becomes evident. And so they told a lie to cover up their plot to preserve life. They told a lie. They lied to Pharaoh. Now we can get into the ethics of that at a later time. God says thou shalt not lie, right? 
That, that might be a question for Ask Pastor Will this summer. But here's, here's something we need to take note of. God blessed them for doing what they felt like they had to do to save lives. He doesn't call... The, the, the issue of telling a lie is not even brought up in the story. That's kind of just set to the side as a matter of fact. But they were blessed for doing what they felt like they had to do to save life. The same thing happened in World War II, didn't it? When Nazis would come knocking on the doors of people who feared God rather than man, and they would ask, are you hiding any Jews? And they would say, there are no Jews here, and their walls and floors were full of them. They did what they felt like they had to do to save life. We don't have to go alone with the narrative. That's one thing we, on this issue and every issue, church. We, we've got to hear this. There is a narrative that the culture around us presents and preaches and proclaims on every platform. In our education system, in our entertainment system, in our social system, everywhere we turn, there's a narrative and there's an expectation that you have to step to that narrative or you will be counseled, you will be shunned, you will be outcast. As believers, there comes a point somewhere that we can't follow the narrative. Because it's not built on scripture, it's not built on truth, it's certainly not built on salvation. So even when there's pressure to end life, we don't have to, there's another way. So Pharaoh devises another plan, he calls all Egyptians to be on the lookout for male children and Moses' mother is aware of this deadly threat to her newborn son. We've just talked about today. What, what a day. Martin and I didn't plan this, did we? To celebrate the life of, a, of newborn children in our children's sermon on the day that I, I was, I was going to preach this the Sunday that Ryan Settle was here. That was Pro-Life Sunday. So it got pushed back to here. So we're celebrating new life and we're looking here at Moses' mother who has a newborn son and she realizes that every Egyptian eye is just is looking for a newborn son and he will be snatched out of her arms and thrown into the Nile. So what does she do? The Bible says she hid her newborn son for three months. Can you imagine hiding a newborn for three months? Months keeping everybody away from the fact that you have a newborn in your house who cries about everything and keeping him hid. And when she could no longer keep him hid, she had to come up with some kind of other plan. Now, I don't know what she's thinking, but she is creative, isn't she? She makes a basket. She puts Moses in it and sets him in the river among the reeds. She... I guess, carefully places him in the Nile. I don't know what's going on here. She did all that she could. 
She did all that she could to save her son. And behold, how about this? Pharaoh's own daughter goes down to the riverbank and she finds the child and hears the child crying. And the Bible says she takes pity on the child because that's the natural thing that happens. To look at a child crying helpless and innocent and say, snatch that and throw it in the Nile is unnatural. But she takes pity. You see, it's so ironic. It has to be God, right? This story has to be God. Because this is Pharaoh's daughter. It could have been any Egyptian. It could have been any other woman. But this is Pharaoh's daughter. You see what's happening here? When we've done all that we can do to save life, God can step in and do what we can never do. God can do the impossible. God can make a way where there seems to be no way. And God can change hearts. Pharaoh's daughter, growing up in Pharaoh's house, what a heartless man he is, but all of a sudden she has a big heart. That's God. And God calls us to stand for life and seek to save life. And, and ultimately, then, we find ourselves as we are striving to stand for life, life that God creates, life that God has a purpose and plan and design for. And when we come alongside that truth and stand for life and fight for life and help mothers and, and help those with unplanned and unexpected and pressured and unbelievable circumstances of finding themselves pregnant when we help those women and help those fathers and help those situations and support people and support babies. We find ourselves part of God's master plan. You see, God is working in all of this. God meant for this child that was born to these Parents, under this threat of loss of life, he meant for that child to lead his people out of bondage. And even the most horrific evil scheme could not stop it. Pharaoh had summoned the eyes of every Egyptian, and it could not stop God's master plan. Pharaoh's working against it with all of his might. Moses' mother and her daughter and Pharaoh's daughter is working against it under God's sovereign plan. So Moses, can you believe this? Isn't God wonderful? Moses, a male Hebrew child, grows up in Pharaoh's house. Pharaoh's house. So the one God is going to use to save many lives is raised in the house of the very one who sought to murder him. God can do big, unimaginable, incredible 
things. Things that we could never plan, we could never arrange, we could never make possible. He just calls us to be faithful. He just calls us to do everything we can do. If we would just obey him and not fear man, but rather fear God, we would see not only in this issue, but every issue that's a challenge for us as believers today, we would see God move in incredible ways. But we usually don't see God move in incredible ways when the church is compromising. and being quiet and being taken in. Talking about salvation and the sanctity of life together and how God steps in into this narrative and does the incredible things. God stepped in when Jesus was born too, didn't he? He sent an angel to Joseph, remember that? He sent an angel to Joseph warning him that Herod was going to seek to kill Jesus. So he tells Joseph, get up, get your wife, get your child, and flee to where? You remember where they went? Egypt. God's plan of redemption. How about this? So that the man who will deliver us from sin, as prophesied, comes out of Egypt. Just like Moses, picturing God's final eternal redemption, led God's people out of Egypt. Wow. Salvation and the sanctity of life. Herod slaughtered hundreds of babies trying to kill Christ. What did his mom and dad do? They just ran. They did what they could. And look what God did. Look what God did. And then the third thing we see in this narrative unfolding is how adoption has a place in salvation and the sanctity of life. This is such a wonderful story, isn't it? Moses ends up being raised by Pharaoh's daughter after being nursed by his biological mother. It's adoption. It's adoption. We're on the threshold of what will be, I believe, a tremendous rise in the need for adoptions. Something that is possible in our land today would be a praise report and then immediately a prayer request. If the Supreme Court upholds the Texas fetal heartbeat law, the issue of abortion will essentially be returned to the states. So after years of praying and laboring and sharing the truth to make known the truth of abortion, what it is and the sanctity of life that God creates and has a plan, Roe versus Wade could be overturned in our lifetime, something that I have never experienced. 
I was born December 15th, 1972. So if that happens, abortions will dramatically decrease in America. Which means the number of children waiting to be adopted will dramatically increase in America. So where crisis pregnancy centers have been on the front lines of the message of life and hope and another way, adoption agencies will be on the front lines to continue to uphold the value and worth and the blessing of children. So we as a church need to be able to read the times, don't we? And begin to prepare and equip ourselves to live out the gospel and the truth of life. The next frontier that God will call us to in the pro-life movement will be adoption. We will need Christian families by the hundreds to adopt precious children We will need to begin to put our money, our resources, and our homes and our plans alongside our belief that children are blessings. So God may not call every home to adopt, but all of us can financially and materially support the families that God does call to adopt precious children. We can support in many ways. We can buy groceries. We can provide babysitting. We can help sponsor scholarships to help pay the cost of adoption. There's a number of things that we can do as churches and as individuals to come alongside families who will adopt. We can be those families who adopt. And we have an organization right here in South Carolina ready for the task, Christian Adoption Services. Mike Blackwood from Christian Adoption Services was here with us just a few Sunday nights ago to share with us about that great Christian ministry of helping birth moms who will not be able to keep their child find good gospel Christian homes and families. But you see, even when we come to this Subject of adoption, even here, salvation and the sanctity of life are intertwined because adoption is actually a picture of the gospel. When we embrace Christ as Savior, the Bible says that God adopts us into his family. We are strangers and we are aliens, and God brings us into his family and makes us heirs with Christ. God chooses us. To be his children and adopts us into his family. So saving life portrays salvation. That's why we find them together so often. They come together. Saving a life portrays salvation because God in Christ has saved our lives and saved them forever. Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. He will save. Let's pray. Father, 
we've addressed an issue that is very difficult. It can be very emotional. It can be very painful. But we look to your word, Father, for all answers. We don't look to ourselves. We don't look to those around us. We don't look to other voices. We look to you. And even though if the initial truth sounds abrasive, Father, the further we look into your word, we find that you are a God who is compassionate, faithful, merciful, good, wise, caring, gracious. So, Lord, help us. Maybe we need healing. We may need healing today. We may need forgiveness today. We can find those in Christ. You are in the business of recreating hearts. Maybe we need rethinking today. You are in the business of changing hearts and renewing minds Maybe we need, Lord, to be called into action today. To step up and be involved and volunteer and pray and give and share and speak and help and support and vote and whatever it might be. But no doubt, Lord, with the context in which we find ourselves in, much like the context that Moses found himself in, there is always something we can do. So speak to our hearts today, Lord. Help us to respond in faith. And Lord, help us, Father, to grow in you and and call us forth and renew us and recreate us and forgive us and save us and equip us, Lord, to be ambassadors of life in all of the ways that might be before us. We ask all of this in Christ's precious name. Amen. You have been listening to the sermon ministry of Will Owens, pastor of Grassy Pond Baptist Church, Gaffley, South Carolina. Be sure to visit willowens.com to hear more sermons, read blogs, and learn more about the missions branch, P67 Missions. Again, thank you for listening to Will Owens.